0: Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of quote unquote with KK. I am now closing the season of 2021. And if you recall, we had done a mini real estate series where we had invited leaders from the Indian real estate sector. Karan Virwani had spoken about the future of commercial real estate and co-working in India. And then we had Dr. Ashwinder who spoke about the future of residential real estate in India. And today I have invited a doyen of the Indian real estate industry, Anuj Puri, to our podcast to wrap up this mini-series. For those who don't know about Anuj, let me quickly walk through his profile, which is very illustrious. Anuj started his career in real estate and he is currently the chairman and founder of Anarok. Uh, Over the last 30 years Anuj has worked with various real estate companies until uh, February of 2017 Anuj was the chairman and country head of uh, international property consultants called JLL India and uh, he was overseeing a team of 9,000 employees across 11 cities. At JLL Asia Pacific Group Anuj was the leader and also head of global retail and leasing board. Anuj also has been on several industry forums like the Fiki and also on boards of various other institutions and companies he has also been part of the industry group Credai and Anuj holds several honors and awards and citations from various publications and institutions welcome to our show anuj it's a pleasure hosting you on quote-unquote with KK. Thank you very much, uh, Kapil. Uh, It's a delight
1: uh, to be on your show. I'm looking forward to our conversation over over the next uh, half an hour or so.
0: Great. There are two very, very critical issues in the minds of investors. What's happening in China? And is Evergrande another Lehman that's going to poop the party of inward investments coming into India? in the next year or so what's your take there are a lot of things being written in the media but i would love to get it out from your uh, side what's going to really happen so kapila it's a it's a worry that uh, many of us had
1: a couple of months ago when we first heard about uh, evergrande uh default that was uh, going to inevitably happen and the thought was whether this is the beginning of a Lehman crisis, because during that time also, uh, this is how it had all started. And then it bundled into real estate and Evergrande being a real estate developer uh, amongst the largest in China, did it mean that it was beginning of another global financial crisis? Having said that, uh, very quickly, within sort of a week or 10 days of that news, uh, couple we discovered that this wasn't going to be another Lehman crisis uh, on several accounts. Uh, one, you know, from the time when Lehman had happened. Uh, yes, the quantum was the same between Lehman and Evergrande, t But the global economy has grown significantly. So as a percentage, uh, it wasn't as significant as at the time in 2008 Lehman was. So Evergrande, given the overall global economy expansion since 2008, it wasn't as a percentage reflection, a very large proportion of uh, the global markets. The second uh, was that uh, this was largely limited to China and uh, it wasn't as much of a pre-market uh, issue as it was pertaining to China many of us know uh, that you know there has been a fair amount of investment into real estate that has been done in china a number of houses have been uh, apartments have been constructed they remain unoccupied at this moment in time and it does look like you know there is a a sort of a bubble on the residential market uh, that has been built in uh, china so you know that's also a reflection of what uh, has happened on evergrande, the third the good point, however, has been is that if the Chinese government wanted it not to fail, they could have easily protected it. Uh, it isn't a big uh, game, but they said is let it go through the free market forces uh, and that was very good from the perspective that uh, they let uh, evergrande go go down uh, without really interfering. In that, and that sent a positive uh, sentiment into the into the market and lastly, uh, given that uh, this is a lot more local in china the the impact of this wasn't felt on many global firms uh, as a result of which they continued to do their normal course of business, and their business did not get disrupted uh, because they had not any meaningful stake. Uh, within the Evergrande, so from 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 the proportion of what Lehman was at that time to the global economy to what it is Evergrande to the global economy different scale. alabi uh, a lot smaller scale now, uh, given that it was largely restricted to the Chinese market, and we know that there are some uh, real estate residential uh, issues that are being built up uh, on the Chinese uh, residential market. Largely being a very local domestic plane, it did not have ramifications uh, globally and hence, you know, that crisis appears to have gone past us and I don't think that is going to hound us in the times to come.
0: So, India seems to be insulated, there no crisis of inward in- investment and allocation to real estate in this part of the world because of the Chinese crisis. Is that true if I were to say that India would continue to get inward investments?
1: So, uh, that's a very good point, couple uh, that you uh, mentioned. Clearly, we're seeing is that uh, most of the corporates out of China, you know, whether these are uh, manufacturers, or whether these are institutional investors, whether these are just American corporates, uh, you know, they're saying we need a policy which is China plus one. It's a new word that I heard. China plus one. So we'll definitely be in China, whether it's for manufacturing, outsourcing, or whether it's as investors, but we do want to de-risk ourselves. So, you know, is it that the fourth or the fifth manufacturing plant that they were putting together for outsourcing, will they continue to do it in China? Not necessarily. Their saying is that we want to look at one other alternative because if something was to happen into China, then we have at least an alternate base. Now, is that base India on the manufacturing side? Uh, I I hope India has a very good prospect, and we will be able to attract the number of these companies who are wanting to outsource their manufacturing either from Europe or the US. But Kapil, to be honest, at this moment in time, they have a number of choices. You know whether that is correct? Right. Sort of Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia. India. Uh, so, you know, these corporates are also looking at it that China plus one, uh, it doesn't automatically mean that it is India, that plus one. Uh, you know, we we will have to fight, you know, some of these other countries in Asia Pacific. And, uh, and that's where I, I think support of the government uh, is very crucial. And the way the policy is that the government has been able to accommodate and adjust we're, we're seeing that they're cognizant of the opportunity that this has thrown on the manufacturing, particularly within the Indian environment, where the corporates are saying is that we may not set up our fourth or fifth factory in China for, for outsourcing, but uh, look at something else. And if India has become
0: that much more attractive, uh, then India is our choice. Excellent. And I will come to the policy side with you shortly. The recently concluded Dubai Expo, on the sidelines, we did hear a lot about India and India. Uh, Although our uh, algo-based fund is very bearish on China, what was your take uh, about the investors uh, at the Dubai Expo? Are they feeling very positive about India? Are they going to invest into the Indian real estate and different uh, opportunities that Indian real estate opens up to them?
1: Um... So Kapil, uh, in 2012, you know, uh, I was doing these rounds uh, with the investors in the US uh, to bring them into India. Right. And uh, in one of the meetings, I was sitting with uh, uh, an investor and uh, he turned his computer towards me and there was a yellow post-it chip stuck on his computer screen. It said India, I-N-D-I-A. I will never do it again. Mm-hmm. So that's oh, wow. the that's the reputation on the real estate that we've had in the past. Now, when you're speaking with these investors, they're certainly saying, oh, This is very exciting and intriguing. We definitely want to come and have a play in India. And you know, these are not words in the calendar year 2020. And couple, this is like the COVID period, calendar year right. 2020. We've had the highest foreign direct investment come into India in real estate. You know, nearly $6.3 billion, highest ever, in the calendar year 2020. So it is not just mere sort of lip, lip service that is being done by foreign institutional investors, they're actually putting in dollars. But where are these dollars going? These dollars are going into listed real estate entities like we've seen with Lodhas or with uh, Shriram properties. They're going into REITs. You right. may recall couple that uh, during the pandemic, Rehejal listed their office REIT. Brookfield right. listed their office REIT. Uh, and so these foreign direct invest- investors are putting it in there. Or they are putting it in hard asset classes, which are income generating, which means offices, which means uh, sort of warehouses, data centers, uh, retail malls. Where the money is not going is the residential on equity side, because they are like we don't want to necessarily take the development risk. Correct. Uh, Their thing is that we will invest with the developer in a listed company so whether it's you know Woodridge or obroy or Prestige etc but we're not going to give equity money to the developer and take equity risk on the residential development we are happy to buy completed offices income generating assets we are happy to buy completed warehouses or uh, based on the income but not necessarily to take residential development risk and that's where we have seen that the majority of the investors have been very keen on income-generated office assets or then investing into real estate listed entities, but not into
0: residential as equity base. And obviously, with the money and the, the way the, the debt market has behaved in the last year, there is a lot of liquidity in the market. So, if there is a good project, I'm sure investors other than the foreign investors who may be a little bit risk-averse would definitely invest and we are seeing that the larger developers their share of the total real estate has been increasing.
1: Absolutely and you know this is the theme that uh, Kapil we're seeing across all sectors which is consolidation. So the strong are becoming stronger and the weak are becoming weaker. In the real estate segment as well if you were to look at any of these stakeholders you know, whether these are developers, or whether these are NBFCs, uh, whether these are uh, intermedi- intermediaries. Everywhere we are seeing consolidation uh, happen. And that's where these strong are getting a disproportionate benefit. I mean, look at it, how Lodha got listed. And then immediately after the listing, within a period of 12 months, he's done the QIP at a higher price. And the QIP has been a roaring success. Uh, we we've seen Shiram properties you know getting listed there are three or four more uh, you know I ipo uh, contenders on the residential side that uh, we will uh, we will see so so clearly there is enough money coming in for good quality developer good quality stakeholders because the investors do believe that consolidation is taking place with uh, you know during this covid time in any sector and real estate is also, seeing that consolidation, so the ability of the stronger to benefit more is where we are seeing attraction of the investors, and within the space, these strong players are eating somebody else's lunch. As a result of which, disproportionately getting the benefit during these uh, these times. So, so, so exactly what you're saying is that. Uh, The uh, ability of good quality developers to be able to uh, get a larger share of the market is very evident. But my point is that it is not only just developers in real estate, it's also intermediaries, it's also funders where they are consolidating and it's also industries outside real estate where we are seeing the consolidation take place and the ability of strong players to be able to either buy out the weak players or then the weak players just perish uh, given uh, their inability to withstand the competition.
0: Rightly put, Anuj, I want to to pick up on this point of consolidation. And, you know, our algos are picking up very strong, you know, signals, especially in sectors which were slow to revive during the pandemic, uh, especially 2021, 2020, 2021, which had a a lot of muted demand, such as offices, retails, malls, industrial, hospitality. And the investors definitely feel that there is an opportunity and a huge upside in this space, including healthcare, if you may. And we have also seen in our own sector the healthcare where some of the larger U.S. brands which a few years back when I was looking to get into a tie-up after exiting one of my investments, they were very busy with the U.S. They said, you know, we don't have time for India. And now suddenly you see a sign-up with the embassy builders and how are you seeing this whole consolidation? Is it a broad brush or is it is it happening very strongly in a certain segment like commercial or, or in residential? What's your view on and what's going to happen in 2022? So, I would say is on
1: the real estate uh, couple, uh, if we start to peel the onion, on the Correct. commercial side, the consolidation had already taken place following the 2008 global financial crisis.
0: Correct.
1: By 2011, that consolidation had sort of pretty much got sealed. About three dozen top developers, uh, you know... Uh, who have nearly 80% of the office market. So that is right. how consolidation on the office happened. Then, uh, you know, came in the retail from 2008 when it started to really, I would say 2014-15, we saw the consolidation for the retail mall developers and about a dozen and a half got left. That's right. how small the market became uh, with uh, with the retail developers the big part of the equation was the office uh, sorry the residential developers and by the way residential couple is nearly 80% of the indian real estate market and that right. had not gone through consolidation during the global financial crisis that's what we have seen perhaps from 2000 and sort of 16 onwards demonetization rera gst then the NBFC crisis, which started from the ILFS uh, debacle, and now COVID. So, okay. this, all this has led to large-scale consolidation on the residential. So, to answer your question, the consolidation has taken place in real estate, but they have taken place at different times due to different reasons starting from offices in 2008 global financial crisis and perhaps ending with residential i would say is another six or eight months more and the sector would have fully got consolidated the new segments that came in industrial warehousing data centers that was so specialized that there were only a few players who have embarked on this journey and hence by virtue of that these sectors, the new sectors are anyway very much consolidated because not everybody has uh, come in. The power for entry into a data center or in industrial is pretty high uh, right. and hence we're not seeing herd mentality come into these uh, sectors. Finally, I would say is Kapil, it's really, really a great time for the Indian real estate Uh, Given the consolidation that has taken place, given the governance that has come in with the developers, given the compliance that the government has put in uh, place, uh, given the consumerism that is very evident and hence uh, the transparency in the sector uh, that has been uh, brought in uh, has made it more mature and worthy of institutional investors, at least considering this as an asset class.
0: There are a few things I want to pick up from your comments here. One, uh, the whole cycle of consolidation is more or less over in the real estate sector starting from the Lehman era. The second thing is that it's more to do now with uh, more participation from retail than with the institution, correct? And thirdly, you are expecting newer models of ownership into the real estate sector uh, in the future. Yes, it is correct what you're saying is that uh, in my opinion, you know, the consolidation is perhaps
1: um, no more than six to nine months away. I mean, it's it's a journey. It will still continue to consolidate. But I think the majority of the consolidation would have got completed in the next six to nine months uh, across the various asset classes. Absolutely correct. Second, you are right that uh, there are different typology of investors that have emerged. Uh, so, couple in two thousand and six, seven, and then you know, leading up to perhaps pre uh, demonetization, it used to be high net worth individuals it used right. to be speculators who would get into the market. You know, these were rather uh, individuals. Now we have institutions: Blackstone, Brookfield, GIC, CPPIB, RDR. These are the ones you know who are taking key stakes, key positions within the. Um, investor community so suddenly that HNI that was there is starting to disappear and we are getting all the uh, North American, European, sovereign funds come in and invest uh, which brings in a lot more credibility to the sector and also brings a lot of patience money, patient money right. because with H&I you know the patient money wasn't there with these institutions we're getting a lot more patient money. Also, a lot more strategic inputs that they right. bring in to their partners uh, within the Indian real estate. And that's, that's, that's the point that uh, I, I really want to communicate is that, you know, we are now on a sort of an upcycle for the real estate industry. And to my mind, you know, this is a very mature, this is a very considered Uh, structural upcycle that we are going to see over the next five years uh, for the Indian real estate. Does it mean we're not going to have hiccups? Uh, I think as Indians, we're quite good in creating hiccups, even if we have none. Uh, So we will, through the journey, create hiccups. Uh, But I would say is, um, you know, clearly this is in very safe hands at this moment in time. uh, And I, I must credit the government the way that they have brought in the changes within this sector uh, has uh, hugely benefited the well-deserved players as well as the consumer of Indian real estate.
0: Talking about hiccups, I wanted to talk about a few hiccups in the sector in the last year. Steel prices going uh, skyrocketing all the inputs that go into making of the real estate uh, cement is the worst over or are we still going to see some upswings or volatility in these sectors uh, including energy as we have seen in the last in this uh, current year that obviously you know dents the confidence of the developer on his ability to source at the right price at the right time what is your take here so um, if you ask me my worst nightmare
1: is the point that you have mentioned kapil is the increase in the prices the party is going very well at this moment in time the demand is strong good quality supply mature players now the party pooper is exactly what you have identified is this input cost if the steel cost and the cement and the labor continues to go up there is only that much ability that the developer will be able to absorb it. Correct. Right. Following which, he is going to start to pass it to the buyer. Now, the buyer would have only that much ability to be able to absorb this in the sale price. After which, the buyer will then disappear and say, so, right. "My salaries haven't gone up to that extent. I am not getting that kind of bonus. I know your cost of input has gone up, but you know I have no money." To right. pay to buy, so so my my worry is that how quickly this input cost will continue to go up, and to what extent uh, you know this will go up. The buyer has an ability to absorb, sort of I would say, is between five to seven percent increase in the sale price, because over the last four or five years, couple the prices of residential <laughs> really hasn't increased. Right. So you know their salaries have gone up. The price of residential hasn't uh, gone up, whilst the input cost has gone up. So the buyer is saying is I can I can pay five seven percent more, but am I going to be able to afford twenty five percent more for the same product? Perhaps not. So so that's where my worry is that I hope the input cost does not continue to escalate the way that we have seen in the last four to six months. Because the buyer at some stage will say that I cannot afford to pay you more than this. And I am not challenging that the developer is right or wrong. I am just saying I don't have the kind of money that you are asking. And that's where the demand will go down.
0: One of the other things my major worry was that, you know, interest rates were tempering down during the COVID because of a lot of flush of liquidity. And now with the FMOC and several other places where the tempering has happened, there is a perception that the interest rates will start zooming up. So far, the, on the retail side and on the developer side, they could absorb this cost of increased cost of inputs by lower financial costs. Now that liver also for them is uh, is now going to extinguish maybe in 2022, which really means that uh, the overall uh, inflation or the cost inflation and the cost of the ownership to the end user is going to increase in 2022. How correct am I in making this statement? So you know, uh, Niranj- uh, yeah, sorry, uh, Kapil, you you are
1: correct in that statement. But there's a big assumption in this. And the assumption is that, you know, the cost will continue to go up. Inflation will continue to bite. And if on top of it, the home loan rates start to rise because, uh, you know, the repo rates are starting to go up and firm up and uh, the governments want to suck out the excess liquidity to control the inflation, then it has a double whammy impact Because one side, the cost of construction Uh, and hence the sale price has increased because of the additional cost of construction and the developer is passing that on to the sale price. And on the other hand, the buyer's home loan interest rate starts to increase and that's when, you know, it'll have an impact on the demand. Having said this, in the near future, I am hoping that we are not going to see this sort of double whammy. And then to some extent, as I said, is that the buyer is willing to pay A higher price Uh, because last four five years they have they have had the ability to uh, pay that additional cost Uh, but given where the residential real estate markets in india were the developer just did not push the uh, additional cost and hence the margins of the developers shrunk now it has come to that point that they cannot shrink more margins of their balance sheet and hence will pass it on to the home buyer so I am I am hoping that uh, we're not going to immediately start to see dramatic increase in the input cost, or at least I'm hoping, uh, and similarly, uh, not witnessing a very sharp rise in the home loan rates.
0: Right. There have been a statement by one of the industry done in the, on the financing side from HDFC that a word of caution, what's going to happen in 2022? and he did say that there is likelihood of overheating in the real estate sector. Is this something people are anticipating or will anticipate and maybe temper down their purchasing or buying decisions?
1: Um, to the contrary, what we are seeing is the actual home buyers wanting to do their home acquisition as of today. And the reason for that is that they want to move to better quality building. More open spaces, balconies, you know, bigger apartments, more number of rooms. You know, they have perhaps two kids schooling from home, becoming very difficult uh, to do it, and hence the need has is is today. So they are actually bringing forward uh, the home buying than delaying it. And uh, my thought is that given where uh, the current uh, mindset and human psychology is with the covid i think residential has become more of a social security we've seen a lot of the millennials who used to rent now wanting to buy because their parents or spouses or boyfriend or girlfriend is pushing them to have a roof over their head which is owned by them and uh, you know clearly the buyer also knows that this is an attractive market dynamic where the rates haven't started to go up The prices haven't started to uh, move north and the home loan rates are pretty cheap uh, for them to be able to acquire the properties. Where we are also seeing the urgency is ready to move in. That means anything which is completed and unsold
0: is getting lapped up by the home buyers. Correct. Anuj, so I want to summarize our talk uh, on 2022 uh, outlook. Looks to me it's going to be a bullish year. According to our uh, algos also, 2022 looks to be uh, up here and investment cycles will continue to go on from here, what we have achieved in 2021. So is that a statement which you will subscribe to? Uh, I would absolutely subscribe to that.
1: Kapil, what you're saying is that uh, structurally, I think the market will remain strong, even beyond 2022, as it says, you know, to me, it does look like at least uh, sort of four or five years, a very strong residential uh, uptake. Uh, Are there going to be road bumps? There will be road bumps in it. Would there be, you know, like in every class, uh, there are good students and bad students. uh, And hence, there, there will be a handful of bad players within the indian real estate industry despite the cleansing and uh, you know those those guys would create some hiccups still but largely i would say is this is for good quality developers a fantastic time uh, with robust demand uh, supply has shrunk into a few good quality strong developers And that the speculator and sort of short-term investor has disappeared completely from the market. And this is a pure end-user game and hence a very sustained uh, recovery that we will see over uh, the next four or five years.
0: Excellent. And well summarized, uh, Anuj. I want to shift gears a little bit, Anuj, on what you called as consumerism uh, earlier in your talk. You see, earlier I used to get a lot of, you know, proposals from various developers, you know, invest in this commercial thing, invest in this, uh, it's not fixed return or this much fixed return and this much upside and whatnot. And as you said, these sort of proposals are now drying up because of entry of large scale institutions and foreign institutional advisors. But for a retail investor to participate, a new uh, sort of uh, vehicles are coming up. You know, you're seeing fractional ownership, you're seeing REITs, you're seeing real estate funds for uh, ultra high uh, high net worth individuals to invest their money, who then manage that money to invest into real estate uh, developers. How is this consumer cycle expected to mature further in 2022? What's your take here? So I, I think we will continue to
1: move towards maturity. Uh, there's no doubt uh, about it. Uh, there are three things that, couple uh, uh, why I say that we'll continue to move towards maturity. One is the compliances that both at the central and the state government, they put onto the real estate. You know, this is what SEBI did after, you know, that Ket- Ketan Park Ketan scam. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is that, the compliances that have been put in make the industry a lot more robust so that's that's the one that there's a lot of safeguards i mean when we go bowling you know these are the rails that are up now and they will not let the ball go in the alley with the way compliances have been done now somebody wants to you know if if somebody wants to do play dirty they'll anyway play dirty but otherwise the compliances have been put in place the second is uh, this social media and the ability of the buyer to be able to make sure that there's enough noise in the market which then damages the product of the brand if the consumer hasn't been handled as per his or her expectations. So, you know, previously this social media wasn't there,
0: right. today's social
1: media is there plus A lot of the millennials are going on to the social media before they're making their position and looking at what the social media is saying about a particular brand. Uh, So so that's the second one where the brands are going to be very conscious and cautious because they're dealing with millennials now. And these millennials are very, very, very prone to looking at the repute of the uh, developer on the social media before they are doing the acquisition and the third i would say is couple is the judiciary who's been you know pretty straight with the real estate uh, developers Uh, and we have seen uh, across the board whether it is ncr or western india the important role that judiciary has played in being able to cleanse uh, this uh, sector and developers have understood this that they are no longer going to be able to play the way that they were playing before. So either it is like shape up or ship out. That's the way that the theme is going on, and many good qualities have shaped up and benefited. Some haven't
0: been able to, and hence they're moving out of this sector. So fly by night operators and players who have been Absolutely. having a shady operations would be probably weeded out. Absolutely correct. I want to take up a small point of uberization of real estate sector in the consumer's hand you see there were a lot of uh, people who were looking at bitcoin based funding and ownership and secondary market of movement of real estate in an open manner in a very sustained manner and obviously there has been uh, talks uh, of introducing or banning uh, initial token offers and block bitcoin in india is this something that would be affecting the real estate sector as well because then i can't buy tokens and i can't own real estate and i can't trade into real estate as a consumer so kapila uh, real estate is still
1: not as sophisticated an investment product
0: Correct. as uh, as the way crypto
1: is i think it will be some time away uh, where we are going to be able to buy or sell real estate through crypto? Would it come? I'm sure it'll come in. Um, but even at a global level, I mean, India is that much more uh, removed. But even at a global level, uh, we haven't yet seen trading of real estate as an asset class uh, with uh, with crypto. So uh, uh, to answer your question, uh, you know, the adverse Ruling on crypto is not going to have any impact on the buying and selling of real estate because uh, we're not seeing the trading within real estate being done through crypto.
0: Correct. So I understand that the secondary markets for real estate at the consumer end may take some more time. It's just the primary sales at this point in time, which will fuel the growth of the real estate sector. Absolutely correct. Hey, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about a lot of startups which have started uh, entering the real estate sector using tech and new age technology like artificial intelligence and using technology as a way to manage real estate and change or transform uh, the whole product or the real estate development as well. What are you going to see? Are you, you've also invested in a few startups in this sector uh, as well using tech. What are you seeing? How are these players going to shape up? Are you, are we going to see a unicorn on the real estate? Not the zero broker and, uh, you know, all those sort of people who are just intermediating but real value addition into the real estate sector value chain. Are you seeing some trends appearing and which could probably be mainstream next year or maybe the year after?
1: Um, certainly, couple. You know, real estate is a very large asset class. It is one of the few assets that have not been disrupted by technology. And I do feel that the way PropTech has gained prominence even before COVID and much more during COVID. That this is here to stay as, uh, as, as prop tech, which will bring in more efficiency, more productivity, to an extent disrupt as well the traditional way of doing real estate uh, business. So, globally, if you were to see, we have a number of unicorns in the US in the prop tech right. space. Given where the India market is on uh, the, you know, real estate, uh, it's only, you know, a matter of time that you're going to see uh, much of the disruption coming in to the real estate through technology. I mean, couple we started four years ago. We're selling, and these are hard sales. It's not lead generation, selling, selling. Over 18,000 apartments today, a year 18,000 apartments. You can't do this without tech, without digital. And you know, the largest agent prior to that w- would have sold, I don't know how much, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 apartments. And that also they may have taken, you know, 10, 12, 15 years to build it up. So yeah. definitely the tech space is very vibrant. It's a big, large segment which remains, which remains. Are to be disrupted by technology and to bring in more efficiency and productivity, thereby you know, delivering a lot of dollars uh, to the various stakeholders. So, I would summarize by saying in America, we've seen a number of prop tech unicorns. In emerging markets like India, it's only a matter of time that you will start to see having run a prop tech business now a solid prop tech business which by the way makes huge amount of profit for us it's not one of those yeah. businesses which is a capital uh, it's a hugely profitable business uh, and you know i see no reason why you know businesses like these uh will not prosper and will not contribute to the indian real estate successfully saving money for the various stakeholders who are connected with it and the business being meaningfully profitable
0: hey i want to dwell on this point a little bit we do expect some game changers and obviously the millennials are people who bet on sustainability high-tech health and well-being are you going to see some game changers emerging in the real estate sector maybe next year or the year after or maybe in the medium term
1: so there will be there will be number of disruptors exactly the points that you have mentioned you know sustainability Uh, the youngsters today are very clear that they do want sustainable environment sustainable development Um, if you look at most of the offices good quality offices you know, they will have lead certified platinum or gold standard, uh, you know, put outside uh, so that the people who are entering the building know that this is a sustainable building. We're seeing that ask come in on the residential uh, today. So, uh, the disruption and the way the uh, progress of the Indian real estate sector has been over the last 20 years is going to be very different to what we are now going to see over the next five years because the uh, the information technology, uh, the millennial who are coming today and buying the residential real estate are very international, very cosmopolitan and they are wanting to see the same value adds which are being brought in western world on the real estate being implemented in the Indian market. Which in the past wasn't the case. Uh, But given where the Indian workforce in terms of its cosmopolitan and international nature has arrived, they are wanting very quickly the best practices of the mature markets to be implemented within the Indian real estate market.
0: Well, summarized uh, Anuj, and I believe there is going to be a very fast transition to global uh, levels like the U.S., europe and other advanced economies in the indian real estate sector
1: absolutely correct absolutely and you know that's uh let's hope uh, we continue to progress well uh, you know deliver well and ensure that the customer is kept at the first priority by all the stakeholders concerned
0: so customer centricity or Getting the whole customer journey around the real estate would be critical using tech, I guess. Yeah, very true. Anuj, what are your, your expectations from the budget and the finance minister for the sector uh, in the coming year?
1: Um, so, you know, uh, my expectation is how can we continue to bring in more transparency within this sector? How can we attract more foreign institutional capital? into this uh, sector and how can we bring in equity into the residential real estate sector equity in office and retail has very much come in through the REIT format uh, equity in the residential is coming through the ipo but there are other means by which uh, we should be able to bring in international equity into the residential development sector so that's the expectation on a broad terms Uh, from the budget to be able to bring more liquidity, more sustainable development and more transparency within the Indian resistance sector.
0: Do you think there would be another stiff regulation to cap uh, rogue money and incidents like Panama Papers uh, which is and a little bit more scrutiny for the developers like we as fund managers go through scrutiny? and a regulatory body that looks into all this which will come soon into the real estate sector? I think the sector has gone through uh, a lot of cleansing already and uh, you know
1: given the way uh, that uh, this government is functioning is very clear that they're not going to allow anything uh, which is sort of immoral uh, within the trade. Uh, So I do believe is that if there is anything uh, which is uh, going to be uh, non transparent and in, is going to cause sort of grief in the long run uh, compliances will come in to be able to address and ensure uh, that these uh, any any bad practices uh, that are there are immediately culled and not encouraged
0: last question before i let you go who are the developers or the players because you are a, you mediate a lot that you're going to bet on in for the future
1: uh, a number of them uh, i would say is on the listed space uh, number of uh, developers i really value them uh, i mean godrej uh, lodas uh, you know prestige brigade dlf uh, many 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 of these uh, that i would say is very pedigree very quality conscious uh, very focused towards the delivery uh, side in terms of the product, uh, you know I would continue to uh, focus on the three large segments, residential office and retail. Uh, to me there is a lot more that needs to be done within these three asset classes.
0: I really appreciate your time Anoj and thank you so much and before I let you go, I'd like to thank your team and our team for making it possible. our sponsors. And I do wish you and the real estate industry uh, as general, uh, happy and prosperous 2022. Thanks and uh, have a nice day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, bye, Kapil.
1: Bye.